Hello friends, before we get started on this next amazing episode, I just wanted to give a short shout out to our team at MetalCloak, the group that makes this podcast possible. From engineering to production, from marketing to sales, from accounting to HR, every member of the MetalCloak family works diligently every day to bring some of the world's best products to the off-road enthusiast. Designed, engineered, proven, MetalCloak. That is not just a clever cadence written by me, but a true statement of what we do every day and why we truly appreciate each and every one of you. If you are looking for something for your Jeep, Ram, Bronco, or Toyota, give us a try. We are here to help. And now, on to another amazing episode of the Modern Jeeper Show. It, it just makes you smile. So that's the whole idea. You can't help smiling if, if you're driving an old stock flat finner very true it's it's automatic it's something in the gear oil smell or something the modern jeeper show the show about jeeps jeeping and jeepers Modern Jeepers, Matson here, and welcome to episode number 19 of the Modern Jeeper Show, the show about Jeeps, Jeeping, and Jeepers. This week, Corey and I have an extreme pleasure of talking with a friend, a mentor, and an all-around Jeep guru, Mr. Rick Payway of JP Magazine fame. Rick was the editor-in-chief of Peterson's four-wheel drive for over a decade, and now is back at where he started as the lead Jeeper at JP Magazine, where he can follow his first love, all Jeeps, all the time. Rick takes us back to his first GPW how many Jeeps he has owned over the years, what is the essence of the Jeep lifestyle, why are Jeepers so different, what it was like driving the Gladiator for a month, how he conducted his Gladiator towing test, what his favorite trail is, why he has as much joy wheeling the Andes as wheeling the Sierras, the importance of education, what is the CJ-17, how his flip-flops ended up as a tribute on the JL and JT, whose idea it was for Dirt and Drive, and why Best Stop's Jim Chick is just as guilty. And finally, what is the whole deal with a potential FCA Renault merger? Of course, we have another great tech tip of the week, and since we are with the guru of buying used Jeeps, we asked Rick to share his tips for buying used. As a note, remember to visit ModernJeeperShow.com for a list of helpful links after this episode. As always, we are extremely grateful to our partners, including Raceline Wheels, Warren Winches, Best Stop, Milestar Tires, Rugged Radios, and, of course, Metal Cloak. So, sit back, relax with the cold one, and enjoy episode number 19 of the Modern Jeeper Show. Well, hey, Modern Jeepers, it is another episode here of the Modern Jeeper Show, the show about Jeeps, Jeeping, and Jeepers. It's me, Madsen Brakey of Metal Cloak, along with Mr. Modern Jeeper, Corey Osborne. Hey, guys. And we are here to just kind of talk about all kinds of good stuff going on now. Now, we just did a random episode, which if you guys haven't checked it out, please do. And that's where we really talk about all kinds of cool stuff. And we spent a good portion of that talking about Formula One and, and racing and not even just off-road stuff, which was some of our fans thought was fascinating. Others were like, uh, I didn't know where to go with it. <laughs> we got a little sidetracked last week, but um, you know, it was still re- related to the the automotive world and, and what we all enjoy and, and racing and those aspects and the people behind it all. And so I don't think necessarily we were totally off base, but I understand that some folks were a little bit like, wait a minute, this is a jeeping show and we're talking about formula one racing. 
Well, you know, and that's what was fun about it. Because uh, interestingly enough, one of our one of our friends, he goes by Steve Anita on Facebook. Uh, he's a member of the Medical Owners Club. Uh, it turns out that had we not done that, I would have never known that he used to be part of the, the Mercedes AMG team in right. Formula One, which right. honestly explains everything. But he has that mind and that was his world back then was, was racing and, and doing this. And so he actually came in with all kinds of good information. One of these days we might have to get him on the show. Yeah, there you go. That's a good idea. However, you just wrapped up at the, the modern Jeeper Moab event. This is our second annual. And all I've heard so far, I wasn't there. You and Scott Becker got to go. All I've heard so far was rave reviews. You know, it was, it was, again, we, we tend to hopefully figure things out a little bit better each time. Um, this, this event was, was very, very well done, I thought. And I, I got to give a, a shout out and thank you to uh, Outlaw Jeep Adventures, uh, Jeremy, Heidi, Steve, and Ernie, who kind of were our, our guides, our, our help for this event. Um, they did a, a great job of, of facilitating it, making this thing go as smooth as it did. Um, another shout out, I got I to gotta say thank you to Brian and Jody McDaniel, some friends of mine that live in New Mexico, that came up as participants and, and really Brian and, uh, really helped me get through a couple of, of situations where we had a, a broken vehicle. And, uh, you know, if it would have just been uh, me out there, we would have we gotten it off the trail, but we were able to do it much quicker uh, having Brian's help. So again, it was a great event. We had a really good time. We took an entire group of pretty, I mean, there were some pretty well-built Jeeps, but there were a couple on 35s. We took them all the way across the Golden Spike. And for those that are readers that don't know, that's um, in Moab, it's kind of an iconic trail. It's a long trail. It actually is a link between Poison Spider and Gold Bar Rim. So the Golden Spike Trail is, is, goes all the way across, all the way across Poison Spider Mesa comes out Gold Bar Rim out there on the highway. And it was a, it was a long day, but I got to tell you, this group of Jeepers was, they were all about it. They had a great time. We got back a little bit later than I would have liked, but, um, you know, again, I think everybody really enjoyed it. On the second day, we actually did Moab Rim and thought we'd have an early day and get people off the trail where they could go down into Moab and do some shopping or whatever they, they wanted to do. And it turns out people were like, well, what else, where else can we go wheel um, once we got <laughs> done with the, with the rim? So that's awesome. two, two pretty, pretty technical, pretty challenging trails, but, but everybody was a trooper. Everybody did outstanding. So it was a good, good trip. Well, that's awesome. And, and it sounds like you guys were able to do your know, registration at Outlaw Jeep Adventures, which in their new location, Friday night, um, had, had barbecue there. And then you had, uh, you had, you know, we did better on the meals for breakfast and, and great lunches and the dinner at grandpa's again on Saturday. And so what time did you actually hit the trail Saturday morning? Saturday morning, we left, we, we, our goal was to leave at nine. And I think we ended up actually getting out of there about nine fifteen. Um, nice. we were, we were on the trail to, uh, of poison spider at about quarter to 10, which, you know, if we would have hit nine o'clock getting out there, we would have probably been a little bit better off. Um, we had no breakages. We had no damage, anything until the very, very last part of the day. And we were actually on the gold bar rim side and, um, uh, kind of a typical JK issue. We had a, a stock track bar bracket rip off the axle, um, uh. 
but you know, we, we, we did a trail fix. We let everybody else head back to town and, and get ready to go to dinner. And then uh, a couple of us stayed back and we got uh, the participants Jeeps, you know, four, four ratchet straps and, and some ingenuity and, we got him off the trail and got him back to town so we could put it, we actually put it in, in Jeremy's garage at Outlaw and then uh, built him some, some new brackets and welded it all back together the next day and got him so where he was able to go back home. Right. In fact, uh, he showed up here on Tuesday uh, here at Metal Cloak, Cloakworks 4x4 um, and his Jeep's in there now um, getting all properly set up and fixed. Nice. So, yeah, nice. It, it, uh, it all come, comes together. Uh well, that's great. That is great. It sounds like it was an awesome time. Uh, I wish I could make it out there. A couple of people were pinging me wondering what the heck I was. Yeah, right. Um, but it, it sounds amazing. And now, of course, our focus is on Tillamook, which uh, I just did an article that's on modernjeeper.com this morning about Tillamook, about uh, what we expect to see, about the beauty of the area, and, of course, about cheese, because really it's all about the cheese. It's we can go always wheeling. about the cheese. You can go wheeling all you want, but you got to have the cheese, man. Yeah, right, like, right. So it's really cool. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it, but you've done Tillamook. We talked a lot about it in the last one, so we don't really need to rehash that. But registration is going strong, and I'm just really excited about, about, about Tillamook and what it brings and the sand and the, and the fun up there. You know, these are all things that our guest who's coming up here uh, has had a lot of experience with trail breakage, Trails like Tillamook, I'm sure he's been up there. Moab, he's been out there. But why don't you tell uh, our audience who we got coming and joining us today? Well, you know, I, I have a fun story because, um, and I'm not sure he's ever really heard my my side of this, but um, gosh, it's almost been like 10 years now. And I was sitting at my desk uh, when I had the title insurance company and, and working away. And I, I got a phone call at work and... I picked up the phone and and he introduced himself and I kind of said, yeah, okay. And we chatted for a little bit and he asked me, you know, if, if I was still interested in doing an event and, and I said, you know, I, I sure, sure. And I, you know, I looked at my calendar and it's April 1st and uh, I kind of, I kind of laughed and we chatted briefly and he gave me his, his number to call him back if I had any questions. And I, I hung up and I kind of sat back at my desk for a minute and I thought, Yeah. It's April Fools. And and then I f- I'm like, I'm gonna call the number back and see who I get. So I call back and a gal answers the phone and I said, Yeah, is is Mr. Rick Payway in? And she says, Yeah, hold on. Can I tell him who's calling? And I told him, told her. And uh Rick picks up the phone, he says, Yeah, Corey, what did you need? And it dawned on me that that actually was Rick Payway who had called me and he was actually inviting me to uh, take part in an ultimate adventure. And wow. uh, I remember you- that very, very clearly that day. And it, it's still to this day, it's was one of those aha moments where I go, wow, this guy, he actually called me at work. That's just crazy. So yeah, Rick, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks, Corey. I, I kind of remember that uh, conversation myself, and, and believe me, I always pick it first for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, like, how many others called you that day, going, "Wait a second. <laughs> oh yeah, a lot of a lot of people go, "Yeah, sure, everybody, yeah, yeah." <laughs> I mean, it makes the most sense to me because if you can't if you can't get through that, it, it, there's certain requirements of ultimate adventure. I want the type of person that can, can get it, can move on. And that's why I do it. Well, I, I used to remember I did ultimate for about 16 years. Now, uh, Christian Hazel, who is the editor of Peterson four wheel and off road. Now he's handling it. 
Rick, right. were you the were, were you part of the was that your event when it first started? Were you the originator of that? I was not the originator. I took took it over the second year. It was one of my bosses who said, "Hey, how can we go four wheeling? Get the company to pay for it, and go have fun on a week type of long adventure." And you know, I've been doing that type of thing for years. <laughs> and I said, "Well, look, here's how you do it, and then get sponsors." So sure enough, that's what what uh, my boss did, and he got sponsors in, and I took over the next year. Actually, no, '99 we did not have it, or 2000 we didn't have it because of major changes in the corporation that I worked for, which originally was Peterson's and then moved on through about seven different ownerships. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. But well, I let it after, after that. Well, I was, I was digging a little bit and let's see, um, you were inducted into the off-road motorsports hall of fame in 2010. Um, yep, you know, that's, that's right. it's not really that big a deal because there's other people in there like Steve McQueen and Parnelli Jones and Mickey Thompson. So you're part of this, pretty elite group i mean you've you've been in the business for pretty much your whole life as near as i can tell uh pretty much yes i before i actually got into the journalistic side in 94 i had my own four-wheel drive store in tempe arizona for many years republic off-road and we did a lot of jeeps jeep suspension spring overs you know really high-tech stuff for rock crawling and things like that and before that I worked at a place called Four Wheeler Supply in Phoenix. That's where I actually started in the mid seventies. Gotcha. I I think I was reading somewhere that um, Republic Off Road. Um, so there was an, a pretty unknown employee or associate with Republic Off Road. I think his name was um, like Shannon Campbell or something. Yeah, Shannon. Shannon was one of my customers, along with uh, Randy Ellis and those guys. They would come into the back back of the shop and we'd weld stuff and have fun and drink beer and you know all the regular stuff i helped them a lot out in the beginning it's really a lot of fun to see how well shannon and his whole family have done absolutely absolutely so how did what okay so um you're born in fairbanks alaska is that right yep fairbanks alaska which is why i can't be president of the united states because alaska was not a state at that time so that's my excuse for not for you're you're that old I didn't think you were that old. Well, wow, uh, not 1912 that... like Arizona. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, how did you get? Um, how how long did you live in Alaska? Oh, well, I was there for about 10 years. Uh, then my father moved us down to Arizona. He was the chairman of the geology department, and his concept was, you know, although he worked for 30 years in Alaska to further his career and get us out of the cold, he'd had to go somewhere nice. So. He interviewed at Buffalo, New York, believe it or not. And that's up back in the days when you walked off the plane and down a ramp. So oh, he went right. to Buffalo somewhere in January. He said, okay, very, <laughs> very nice. Then he flew to Phoenix and went, oh, this is much better getting off the airplane. So that's one of the reasons we ended up in Arizona. Oh, that's funny. Nice. Yeah, but we always had Jeeps. Naturally, he was a field geologist. We'd go out exploring and camping and through the muck and the duck and the permafrost and snow. And I thought Jeeps were a normal thing. So naturally, I learned to drive in a Jeep. That, that started everything up. I finally got my first one in 72 and tore apart. And my parents came home and said, what did you do? I said, well, I wanted to see how it worked. So, <laughs> what what kind of Jeep was that? That's uh, my 1945 uh, World War II Jeep. Had a four-cylinder and all that good stuff in it. And I still have it, believe it or not. It went through the, the standard process of the four-cylinder, and I drove that to you know, Arizona to Illinois and back, and Ohio and back, and 
through high school. Eventually, after I got married, I put a V6 in it. And then finally, my wife asked me, well, how come you can't do that big dune? I said, well, I need a bigger motor. She says, do it. So I put a 455 Buick in it. it really <laughs> wow. Helped. Where's that Jeep now? It's in my backyard here in California. You still have it. Oh, my, yes. How could you get rid of that? Oh, right. I I actually, you, you'd, you'd probably be disappointed in me, but I, I had to... Um read what uh, gpw stood for because I, I i couldn't quite figure it out and for our listeners out there a, a 1945 his first jeep was a 1945 ford gpw which uh g was government p was basically ford's indication of an 80 inch wheelbase and the w is willie's i think that is correct it was the willie's pattern before the war uh willie's bantam and ford made uh pre-production prototypes for the government so that they could decide on a final Jeep vehicle, which, of course, wasn't called the Jeep. And Ford originally made the GP, which was their government 80-inch wheelbase. And when Willys won the contract, Ford subcontracted to build them under the Willys design. So that was why it was the GPW. At the time, of course, I I just knew it was a World War II Jeep. I didn't know the difference between Willys and Ford. But, you know, there's, there's people out there that there's a big difference. Just sort of like the Chevy versus Dodge guys. Chevy gotcha. Versus Ford guys. Gotcha. So wow. mine just happened to be a Ford, so that's why it is GPW. You've got to be correct, especially being editor of JP Magazine, which is all cheap all the time. got to tell them the whole story. And you put so, a Buick engine in it. Well, yes, but see, that's okay because <laughs> Jeep used Buick engines. When oh. I put my Jeep this last time, I made sure that everything was Jeep, so... Jeep used originally the 350 Buick uh, V8 in their Wagoneers, and they also used the 225 Buick V6 in their CJ5s. So to me, that legitimizes putting a 455 Buick because it's just a Buick V8. Because it's just a Buick V8, right. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. And the same way with the 420 uh, transmission. So Jeep never used a GM manual four-speed transmission, but they did use GM transmissions especially the Turbo 400, and they also used four-speed transmissions. So a four-speed General Motors transmission, such as the 420, I feel that's legitimate to have in my Jeep as a Jeep part. Ah, I get you. It's kind of a stretch, but you got to do that. I I think that works. Um, I didn't know that you did um, some some competing in the the early days, um, Top Truck Challenge and and things like that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. both helping develop Top Truck Challenge and competing in it. I, right. The first, first one, I, I got second place. I missed first by one one hundredth of one tenth of one percent, is what they told me. I'm like, that's just fine with me. So you were, <laughs> you, you were developing it and being a competitor at the same time. Well, back in the early days, we had uh, very few people that knew what they were doing. So I said, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll do, I'll do both. That was uh, back in the four-wheeler days, back before I even started at Peterson. I still had my shop back then. Wow. But that's also how, you know, I, I convinced a lot of my buddies, like Randy Ellis, Shannon Campbell, and those guys to compete in Top Track Challenge because I knew that they were capable. Like, it wasn't like I was giving them any secret tips or tricks or anything. Uh, was it always here in California, or did it start out someplace else? No, the first one and all the subsequent ones were right up there in Hollister Hills, our uh off highway vehicle park the place where i got my greatest case of poison oak ever <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right there in the tank crap man there's some bad stuff down, down there yeah 
And through the years, of course, Topic Town uh, changed and morphed into what it was when it uh, had its final final running a few years ago. And there's been talk about bringing it back up, but that's here to be here to be seen. Right now, Four Wheeler Magazine has their Overland adventure that they just did and ended up at the Overland Expo. And that was a great success. So maybe that's the direction things are going to be going. Yeah, no, it's always changing. That's that's what's interesting is over the years, you've seen the evolution of, of so many different uh, top truck itself changing over the years to become uh, really just this, you know, crazy event that all of a sudden kind of throttling down a little bit. Remember the one year I went out there and just hung out the entire time. Um, the kids that won were from Arkansas home built machine. It was carbureted engine that they had put at like a 15 degree angle or something forward. So that when they were going uphill, it'd be fine. Uh, and their, I remember their shocks were, um, looked like hydraulic rams that they home built into, uh, into shop. And the, the kids, as they were going through the mini Rubicon area, the guy was just, he was having a blast and everybody was cheering him on and he yelled out. He says, you don't understand. We don't have rocks where we come from. This is amazing to me. Like this was the first time he'd ever done it. It was, it was just a, it was incredible seeing that kind of, of enthusiasm from around the country. Uh, for the for the 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 program that you guys have put on, yeah, yeah, it really is a lot of fun to see people from different parts of the country, and that that's just like Ultimate Adventure. When I was developing where we went each year, I wanted it to be different naturally, but I also wanted to have rocks. I wanted to have mud, snow if we could, uh, dry conditions, wet conditions, and then bring people from all over the United States, like the Florida guys that had never seen rocks, or go to the mud places for the people out west. That, just hate mud oh i would love to hate <laughs> <mud>. <laughs> uh it, it, I, I don't know if that's a a sign of your adventurousness or of your cruelty yeah it's a little bit of both <laughs> well, if you say you don't like it then you're gonna have to do it then you're gonna have to do it it's kind of like a fear Absolutely. factor yes don't tell me you don't want to go to mud because then that's where we're gonna go nice <laughs> Well, and even going back further than that, um, you did some score stuff. Uh, I didn't realize that you were part of Rod Hall's team for a while. Oh, racing with Rod is just like that. That that's a pinnacle. He's the kind of guy that naturally his his favorite saying is first to fin- first to win first you have to finish before you finish first. And that's right. really the truth. I mean, he's not a bash him crash him guy like a lot of those other racers. But he's safe, he's steady, and he makes sure you finish. I learned a lot from Rod. He was he was really good. And before that, back in the uh, Republic Off Road days, I sponsored uh, Rich Severson in a CJ7. Oh wow! Actually, it was an old uh, ooh, race of champions Jeep that whole series. And then we moved on to a uh, J10, which was a lot of fun. These are back in the days when we had like three sh- three giant shocks per hoop on each wheel. So well, of course, right. Good shock technology. <laughs> so when you use the whoops, you would you see the sky, and then you'd see the dirt. Sky dirt, <laughs> sky dirt. <laughs> not beat yourself to death. But we, he was really successful, and we had a lot of fun. I even uh, beat Walker Evans once in a race at uh, Phoenix International Raceway. Nice. But that was be- yeah. That was because he DNF'd. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's okay. That's all part of that's racing, right. though, right? Attrition is racing. You know what's so bad is when a I, lot of fun. I look at some of the dates, and it's hard for me to – I have to remember. It's like, well, you know, gosh, 1994, 95, that wasn't that long ago. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of right. our listeners probably weren't born yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Some of my employees weren't born yet. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, my, so, my history goes back quite a ways, but I'm always looking towards the future and seeing what's new and exciting on the horizon. There's, there's so much that has changed in this industry. I mean, you guys obviously have seen that. The Matson is a manufacturer, and Corey is starting out sitting there in your office when I first called you and said, hey, let's go wheeling. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think you said something like ultimate adventure changed your life. Um, I, I have repeatedly told that story for a number of years. And, um, the you know, one of the things that I, I don't think I had in my prior life was I mean, I, I was, I oversaw a handful of offices, three offices on the Western slope of Colorado. And I had a number of employees and the camaraderie of the industry, the camaraderie of the Jeep lifestyle, the the people who are involved in Jeeping. I, I had not seen that before and I hadn't got to experience it. And I had no, I wasn't, I wasn't a racer in the, in my youth or anything like that. And being around a group of people who all shared the same passion and the same uh, goals or, you know, every day was something different. And, and Ultimate Adventure, again, for our readers, there is no, here's where we're going to be for the next five days. This is, we're going to follow Rick around and we're going to do whatever Rick says. And we may not get to a campground until midnight. We may get up at 6 a.m. We may wheel with every piece of camping gear that we brought for a week-long trip we may have that all in the Jeep and we may be in three feet of mud with all of our stuff. You just, you just don't know, but we all shared this, the same goal of making it through the day and having fun while doing it. And that to me, I, it, I, I tell people, yeah, it changed my life because I realized that there was more to sitting behind a desk. There's more to experiencing what life has to offer. Now, a lot of people don't like to get dirty. Uh, I get that. Um, and I think you've hit a home run with the dirt and drive series. I think that that's going to be the next, you know, for us, for us older folks who don't want to go break things and play in the mud. What a way to experience that camaraderie. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing that I, I was specifically uh, doing on dirt and drive was not to take away the, the difficult aspect, but to give more of an option for if you did want to just drive to the obstacle, watch them wheel learn what you need to do. Maybe next year you'll come out and do those obstacles. And in the meantime, everybody still has the same passion for four-wheeling and jeeping, and that's what they do. Well, to be able to bring something like that into people's world where uh, Ultimate Adventure is a pretty um, it's a pretty narrow group of people. It's a, it's a smaller group of people, and I, and, I, and I understand why that has to be. Um, I, you know, I my vision is that someday people that have Jeeps get to experience all of it. And, and not, not saying that, that um, the, the guy who buys the Jeep and he just drives it on the highway and he uses it to and from work is a bad thing at all. Um, or the, the dub type builds that we've talked about where the SEMA show builds where those Jeeps may never ever go off road or hopefully see dust or water or anything else. That's all part of the sport and the hobby and the lifestyle and the passion. Um, to be able to go up into the mountains or the desert or the hills or wherever and and experience this again this camaraderie of of what that feels like i think everybody should have that chance yeah especially doing it with like-minded individuals 
I mean, jeeping can be a, a solo sport, just like, you know, climbing up Everest. But if you get a few of your buddies to go with you, that, that's even better. You can all share in that. And especially with the family aspect, it's not like some sports where it's just the guys doing something. This is a this is a family type affair, and it brings everybody into it. And that's really good because it helps the next generation of Jeepers get in on the fold and learn to drive and do things because we're not going to last forever. Right. Right. Very true. I don't know. With, with that hair, Rick, uh, you might just last forever. You got the – Rick's always got the hair. <laughs> so we've seen – You've got to do that for the videos, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> so – you know, you've seen the, uh, the, you talk about the evolution of the family and you, you saw this evolution from the, from the CJ to the YJ, the TJ, and then the JK. And this, this really push that I think has really brought, uh, families into the fold that much more with these four door Jeeps and the more room. And it's, and, and have you, it's pretty obvious to us, but out there, since you're on the trails all the time, since you're talking to people all the time, has that really been a, a major thrust in bringing more and more people in by Jeep expanding the capabilities of the rig? Oh, I, I definitely think so. Uh, the JK alone was a, a great introduction. I probably saved Chrysler back in the day since it came at, at a critical time. And I told them, you're going to sell everyone you make. And they did. And then the four-door, I told them the same thing. And sure enough, the four-door just made the market explode because no longer did you have to try to put everything into a two-door Jeep. You can now put it into a four-door, use it as a daily driver, do all sorts of things, and and, and still have a very competent, out-of-the-box four-wheeling machine. And now with the new Jeep truck, the Gladiator, even more so. I, I drove one for a month, and oh my gosh, it was... It was incredible everything it could do. Of course, it was longer, but you know, it's a truck. That's what you get with a truck. And, and it doesn't seem to have mattered from some of the videos we've seen, uh, whether it's on the Rubicon or out at Moab. The for whatever reason, they've just built it right. They they really thought about clearance and departure angles, and and it and it doesn't seem to it, from what we've seen make that big of a difference when you're on the trails when you. When you were wheeling out there in Moab with it, what did you experience? Oh, I thought it did phenomenally well. Uh, but I also have a lot of experience wheeling full-size uh, trucks, so I know what's going to happen. I remember one yellow Chevy step side that I had to put down a, a, a real narrow slot canyon, and the entire side of each door was mushed flat. And <laughs> oh. It would not fit otherwise, whereas a JT would would have fit fine. Which is, I don't like the body damage. It, it is a fact of life. If you have to make an obstacle, you have to make an obstacle, and then you have to decide whether it's willing, whether you're willing to accept that or not. But yeah, the cheap, the cheap truck did did awesomely. I have no complaints about that. It's it's not a small Jeep. It's not a four door uh, JL. And it's also not a Ram 1500. It fits in that perfect marketplace in between that uh, Jeep didn't have a have a place to play in. Uh, we think we heard you know the 105,000 production run, but I think you'd agree with me that that's going to get sold pretty quickly. Oh, absolutely! Again, they'll sell every one they make. I have no doubts about that. Well, I think it's 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 kind of funny to me that people keep continuing to they they want to compare the JT to a JK or a JL. 
it, like you said, it is a different vehicle yet. And, and then people are going, you know, well, gosh, you know, I can't really wheel it like I did my JK. Well, no, it's, it's no. not a JK. It's <laughs> not a JL. It's a truck. It's, and Jeep's um, not, and Jeep is not trying to advertise to the JK and JL owner. They don't want to take that right. guy away from the jail. They, they're at, they're going after, and I think Payway's point, they're going after the Ford customer. They're going after the Toyota customer. You know, they want to try to bring more people into their fold, not, not just shift us from one vehicle to the other. Yeah. They, I, I think it's people. I, I hope they understand that they didn't make the JT to replace the JL. This isn't like, Oh, well now we have to buy the JL. This is a different, this is no different than whether they were releasing the Renegade or the Compass or a, a new Cherokee. It's, it's a, just another platform. Absolutely. And again, like Matson says, it's going against the Tacoma, the Ranger, um, the ZR2. That market, that mid-truck market uh, is hot and right. he just falls right into it. Whereas, like you said, why would you want to kill your, your uh, JL sales just by making another vehicle? Right. right. I think the the overland market is going to open their arms with the JT. I mean, that's going to it's going to change the way the overland folks do things. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. They even named one of the models overland. Right. right. Hmm. I wonder if they did that for a reason. Uh, yeah. uh, they're they're not that <laughs> smart. <laughs> it, it is it is and we've already seen it. I mean, it's, it's the the truck has only been out really for a month and a half as far as as ordering and and deliveries are happening. And but you are already seeing uh, companies dive into different products and campers and camper shells and covers and tonneau covers and the it 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 allows a whole different group of players to get into the Jeep market as well, which is only right. better for Jeep because. You know, the more of, of us that play with aftermarket parts, the more popular it gets. Right. I mean, when you look at, say, your company or or any suspension company, tires and wheels, that stuff's already handled. But the entire overlanding part with the rooftop tents and racks and everything that goes on the back end of mm-hmm. this truck did not exist a year ago. And now things like that are just going to be booming. You saw, right. you saw it at the Overland Expo. And we'll be seeing it. Uh, you can bet we're going to be seeing it at SEMA this year, at the SEMA show in Las Vegas. How oh, many? Uh, how many? Sure. How many products did you see out there? How many companies were pushing JT stuff at Overland Expo? Oh, I had one at least a dozen or so. And again, you, people haven't had them, and they haven't had enough time to de- develop them. Right. What was your favorite product this year? I've got a story coming out on this. I'm not going to tell anybody what my favorite <laughs> stuff is right now. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's tell our fans. When does that story hit? That should be in the September issue. But don't okay. forget, in the print world, September is actually July, which is, I think, I've just finished June because right. we're actually in, I don't know, May? Yeah, people got to understand, when you're seeing an ad appear in say JP magazine that metal cloak did. We had to submit that four or five months before <laughs> it even, you even yep. see it or when it's going to be yeah. reaching. So it is a, it is a crazy, crazy print world. It, it really is. And especially when reader says, yeah, in the last issue I saw blah, blah, blah. I go, okay, which issue? Well, I don't know what I just got. Went, okay. And then 10 to one, it's in like four wheeler instead of 
<laughs> right. Because back well, you're in the all, old days, of course. Well, you're all yeah, the we're all same. Old. Yeah, we're all owned by the same company, but with, with uh, different, definite different uh, thrusts. For instance, back in the days when we had Peterson four-wheel and off-road, we also had four-wheeler, we had off-road, we had four-wheel drive and sport utility, we had dirt sports, we had dirt sports and off-road, and oh yeah, mud life too, I forgot about that one. But regardless, people would confuse, I mean, themselves, and they would constantly say, yeah, in your magazine, I'm like, oh boy, how am I going to figure this out? <laughs> you know, because well, I'm you, trying to help them. But they're, all they're all your magazines. I was going to exactly. say, you, you're kind of viewed as the, the captain of the, the ship there, so all of those are your magazines, because you're the most visible. You're the one that well, everybody gets to see. Let's be honest, it's because he's the oldest and he was still around. <laughs> That's right. I know where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, so the fun so, part was when we were all loaned by different companies, uh, four wheeler, four wheel, and off road, and uh, off road and sport utility. They're all different companies, and the editors of each magazine and myself, all of us, were like best friends. And although we never divulged any trade secrets, we get together and drink beer and uh, have a good time in camp and still keep uh, everything completely separate on the business forefront. So, wow. Back in the so, old days. Well, it comes back to what you talked about, you know, and what you and Corey were talking about. And I was just listening to, to these, to what seemed to me the core essence of what we at Modern Jeeper do and what we've all tried. To, to really express is that we live in a pretty unique community. This, this lifestyle, the jeeping lifestyle and the jeepers it is an incredible community. And uh-huh. it's, Absolutely. it's, it's all about that camaraderie and we, what it is and what the core of it is. I don't know. I can guess at it, but uh, you've seen it for so long. Is it just that we have this shared reality and thrill about a platform that we all enjoy or is it what attracts people to Jeeps? I mean, what is it you think that is, has made this lifestyle unique to me from many different other types of groups that gather together? Well, you have to think about common saying it's a Jeep thing. You you wouldn't understand. (laughs) If you don't understand that phrase, you're not going to get it. And there's been a lot of people that come and buy Jeeps. They think they're in on it, and then they just don't get it, and they fade away. Once you're in it, once you get it, once you realize how much it can mean to you uh, in so many ways, and it just feels right, then you go, wow, this is this is the real thing. And that goes along with the type of lifestyle, the helping people. If you're out on a, on a trail and you're doing nothing but complaining about that guy that broke in front of you and why is he on the trail, blah, blah, blah. You know, this lifestyle probably isn't for you. But if you dig in there and you get a couple of ratchet straps and you bind his track arm back to his axle because it broke off like they always do, then maybe <laughs> maybe you, you'd belong out here in the field and fixing stuff and helping people and being a better person. That's awesome. That's very, very true. Well, it's pretty dysfunctional when, um, you know, I, I – I was in a, a very uh, a long relationship with my ex-wife, and um, I didn't have as many Jeeps then. And now that I'm single, I have more Jeeps, and I still feel somehow complete. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I might just have to use that earth. as I just might use that as the <laughs> intro of this this episode. <laughs> uh, 
man. Well, you know, and it, it it's I have a little three year old boy, and I think one of his when he was a year old, he was already pointing and and calling my Jeep his Jeep, saying my Jeep, my Jeep. And, you know, he's got a little plastic one now and stuff, you know, and it, it really is. And it's, it's, it's fun as a family to be able to, to enjoy this and throw them all in the back of the Jeep and the kids go around in the back of the JK. And, um, and, you know, now I will admit, haven't done a lot of trail time with the kids. Um, and, uh, but that's next, right. That's the next action. Get actually get out on the Rubicon and do a little camping out there with them and, and really show them what, what this lifestyle is all about and the appreciation, you know, it's, I came into this, the jeeping world from backpacking. And so I had a, I had a different take. You go out there, it was a quiet, it was a serenity. I remember the first time going to a, an offered event out in the middle of no place. It was, it was different because it wasn't quiet. It wasn't serenity. We're all loud, having fun, doing stuff. But when it came down to it, we were still all here. And the only way you could get there was either walking in or jeeping in. And there wasn't going to be yep. anybody else coming out. It wasn't going to be somebody come driving by in their car. You know, it was, we we're out there because we worked to get here. And the evening is full of discussions and stories and kind of like modern Jeep adventure Moab. When you guys were sitting around grandpa's garage this year and talking about the day and everybody's sharing their stories and what they enjoyed so much. And, and that, that, that unity is just incredible. That, that universal feeling of, Hey, we just had accomplished something that is incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 you know, it, my first experience in Moab, um, I actually had a full size Bronco and some friends invited us to go to Moab and they said, Oh, you'll, you're fine. You'll have a great time. And, and, um, we, we, we had a good time. And even though we, you know, I almost killed me and my wife. Um, and that was actually on golden spike with Dan Mick. And, um, I was having flooding issues and we ended up rolling off this pretty steep embankment and went off like this 14 foot ledge and blew the rear tire and the Jeep or the Bronco kind of jumped around and some guys got up on the front of it to keep it from rolling. And I remember sitting on the side of the the sandstone there, uh, the slick rock with with Dan Mick, and thinking to myself, I don't know if I can get back in this thing. And I'm <laughs> looking at the Bronco, and there's like seven guys all over this thing, taking the spare off, putting the spare on. I, I just sat there and kind of watched. Um, you know, it's it's things like that yeah. where you kind of go, oh, this is a this is a, a group effort, like. Mm everybody's in it for the same reasons. We're, we're, we're not going to leave anybody out here. We're all going to get off the trail and that's unique. Yeah. And everybody cares. Right. Right. And, and it all, you know, we've taken people out and do stuff and cause it can happen to any one of us, right? Absolutely. Uh, you, know, you have, you have the best built rig and something happens to you and you don't want to be that guy. I've, I've, you know, my YJ, I loved my YJ, but, and we've, I've taken it off the trail with nothing but ratchet straps holding the axle in center. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You, you do what you do, but it's because you have other people around you. Cause I, I don't know about you, but you break something. The initial reaction is, God, damn, you're angry. You're disappointed. Or what are you going to do? You're frustrated. Cause now you're that guy, but everybody else comes together and says, no big deal. Let's get this taken care of and let's move on. Cause we're all here to have fun. Exactly. And, and that's like yeah. where something changes and you do actually get it. Right. Right. Exactly. We could probably all point to that moment in our lives. So, <laughs> yep, yep. 
you're out there with the the JT the truck now for our readers and listeners um, probably saw that uh, that it was Payway who brought the truck to Moab and the CTI trailer at Moab so we got to be the first time you know he got to have the first JT on the CTI trailer and remind me Corey what did it get gosh I think it was like 650 or something it was pretty incredible and then yeah, that yeah. for a truck. I mean, a full tr- truck and, <laughs> right. and a truck that it can actually has a load capacity and isn't just like a showpiece. It actually has a load capacity. It actually has a towing capacity. You had it for a month, Rick. So did you test its load capacity? Did you test its towing capacity? Uh, in a word, yes. Yes. <laughs> so, I had uh, well over 7,000 pounds being towed behind, behind that uh, cheap pickup. And one of the most phenomenal things was the power of the V6. Now, we all know that 3.6 V6 is not a Hemi. We, we know that. But the eight-speed automatic transmission has really made it come alive. I was on an on-ramp. And remember, I've got a trailer and a Jeep on it. It's over 7,000 pounds, which is a few pounds over for a, for a uh, Rubicon model that I had. And I said, okay, i got to get on this on-ramp and get ahead of that speeding 18-wheeler coming down on me. So I nailed the throttle and I take off from a dead start. And by the time I was onto the freeway, I was well ahead of that 70 mile an hour 18 wheeler. I was like overjoyed, obviously, because it didn't hit me. But wow. the fact that the truck really just kept going and it went right up to, I believe, 6,500 and shifted and did it again. And by the time I was in third gear, I was flying down the road. And I wow. to myself, my old 360 wouldn't have done that in my, in my Cherokee. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Wow. Well, we know the three eight minivan motor wouldn't do it. Right. Um, w- when you look at technology, I mean, how many people drive around at sixty five hundred on their motors all day long? Well, yeah, no, not. Right. But then again, our modern technology for engines is for to have them high high revving. Four thousand right. RPM is not a bad thing, no matter how much you want that four fifty four Chevy sitting there at twenty eight hundred churning out horsepower. These little things actually work. So you have to get yourself out of that old old school, old-fashioned mindset and say these things can work because they're designed to work. These chief engineers took plenty of time. Hell, they had 10 years to get the JL right. So you know right. they were thinking about the, J, the Gladiator at the same time. <laughs> so once you let them do their thing, it's really, really pretty good. Well, it, it is remarkable what FCA allowed them to do as well. I mean, it, it, it is because we all know the corporate game. And I think we last year or last week, Corey and I were talking about how incredible just the automotive industry is today. And if you're an auto enthusiast, there's just so much to Absolutely. enjoy. And for them to carry that over into the Jeep and the development of the JL and just let them have fun with it and achieve the things that they you, you kept seeing them tease through the uh through their concept rigs every year and and really really get there and, and to be able to do the truck the same way um you, you know it, it would right. be interesting to have been in those original planning meetings i heard that the original powerpoint presentation to corporate for the uh the development of the jl or maybe it was a jt one of those two i forget which ones they told me but it was for the development of one of the rigs was like 220 pages long, but it was, it was a comprehensive and, and, and they went for it. And now you got this, it, it, the incredible rigs that I'm just excited to be able to build parts for. Oh, heck yeah. 
I can't wait to see some of the suspension kits and the lift kits from the, you know, for the front, it's pretty, pretty, you've got that figured out, but for the rear, right. you know, it's pretty much Ram stuff, So, but not exactly. So it's really right. cool to see the new things coming out. Rick, do you have a, I, I, I'd never expect you to, to narrow down um, uh, an exact trail that you enjoyed your favorite trail, but what about a, a favorite just area to wheel in? Ah, uh, that's, you're right. It's so hard to say. You know, the Rubicon, I've spent a month on the Rubicon this summer, uh, just having fun, wheeling, watching people. Same way in the Arizona desert or in Moab. You know, you spend a lot of time at any one place and you see how much is available to go go have fun on. So do I have a special favorite one? That's really a hard one to say. I'd still have to say Rubicon. Overall, it's an incredible place. Yeah, there's nothing quite. We we had some folks that were in Moab with us on this last uh, adventure that uh, were very interested in the the Rubicon trip we're going to do. And and when you try to explain it to folks, there's really nothing like it. And I think that's what probably makes it so unique. I mean, you far more so than I even have been to, to so many different parks and places and wheeled from back east to different countries to like you so for you to break it down and say that the rubicon is that special that's that says something it, it really is <clears throat> i mean it has so much to offer as far as scenery but geology history the actual trail itself uh the rubicon trail foundation and everybody else associated with, with that group and others that helped keep it open uh it, it is special but in the same way, so are trails that I've been in in uh, Chile. There's some incredible stuff in there in the Andes and the sand dunes and everything else. But they don't have everybody helping to keep something open uh, like the Rubicon. Mm. And in the U.S., that really is the number one thing is, is trail access and keeping public areas open for the public to go wheeling. It's, it's something we all have to concentrate on and be good stewards of. Amen. That's, Amen. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny to chat with people back East because those parks are already private. Their wheeling is already private. And so I've, I've had some conversation with, with folks back there that says, well, so instead of having all this public land, why doesn't it just go privatized? And I just kind of look at them like, oh, <laughs> why would you want that? Well, it's because that's what they're used to. They don't, they don't understand why we're so um, uh, adamant about keeping our public lands public. Um, they don't get it. Right. Well, that's one thing that, uh, you know, for leading all these ultimate adventures and other trips over the years, you re- really see it when you start to pull uh, photo permits uh, for land uses, such as Bureau of Land Management and or Forest Service or any parkland. Back east, we're not going there. We're going to pr- private parks. So they said, yeah, I do whatever you want. Out west, lots of rules, lots of regulation, yeah. no flying drones, no safety commercial photography, no this, no that. And that's even if you can get permission and a permit to wheel. So right. it's far more difficult. Uh, would I like to see more private parks out in the west? Well, heck yeah, but who's going to pony up a bunch of money to buy private land that isn't already going to be used for developers? That's right. right. With, with BLM. They are mandated to manage our public lands. It doesn't mean close them. It means manage them. So ideally for multiple use. 
Can you imagine a, 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 a private park in the West? I mean, somebody would have to pay multiple millions of dollars for the land. And then when you get to the entrance gate as a wheeler, they go, okay, well, that'll be $300. And right. You, um, oh, that's per person. Right. Oh, plus the insurance. Plus you have to buy insurance. Plus, plus your insurance. It, yeah, yeah. 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 There's, there's, you know, especially in California, they wouldn't do that. The liability, it doesn't matter how many waivers you sign, you hurt yourself on the private land, uh, it, you, the extreme liability for the landowner. So that'll, you know, there's, there's some parks out here that people are working on, but they are clubs and groups and nonprofits working to keep some, some, uh, parks and areas open out here. Uh, but not, not private. It would not be a smart business move. Right. And that's one thing about, uh, regular, no longer called Jeep clubs as much as four wheel drive groups, but the ones that do, uh, concentrate on keeping trails open and staying in good uh, cahoots with the BLM and everybody else trying to make everybody happy. Those clubs really deserve our support and our thanks for doing that because by their stewardship of taking care of trails and adopt a trail and everything else, that allows the rest of the four wheelers to use those trails. Right. Right. And I think there's definitely a lack of understanding and appreciation for what it takes when, when a bunch of guys show up and go play on a trail, not realizing who it is that did the work to make sure that they could do it, that they could actually exactly. use the trail. And so, I, I will, I, I got to share a quick little story about the, um, our adventure in Moab. So we did pay for a permit, of course, and we had a, uh, a BLM monitor with us both days. And it just happened to be a, a guy that I've spent some time with in the past as a BLM monitor. So I've, I, I knew Brandon and Brandon's a, a good guy. And, and it was, it was refreshing. And I, and I say that from the perspective of, you know, here's not only a knowledgeable guy and he's there, he's, he's, he's riding with us, making sure that we're not going off trail. Essentially that's, that's his role, making sure we're not flying drones and, 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 you know, doing crazy stuff that we're not supposed to be doing Um, to have somebody with us on the trail for those two days and to have somebody that we can ask questions to really, he was there to put together a report uh, to give back to BLM to say, look, this is a group that was, was led well, that was guided well. They were a group of Jeepers that paid to be there and they didn't do anything wrong. It was interesting that we got to the golden crack on spike and there were some side-by-sides. Now I'm not going to, I don't want a bunch of hate mail because side-by-sides, we share the trail with them in a number of areas. Well, one of the guys in this group of four or five side-by-sides got out and he helped all of his buddies through the crack. Then he got back in his side-by-side, went way up above the crack and decided to, to show off and, put the front end down into the crack and then give it gas. Well, when he got to the other side, he had blown apart an axle um, and he was far off trail. And Brandon was taking pictures and video the entire time. Um, We talked later, you know, he's going to get a fine. That guy will get fined 750 bucks. Will that guy for being off trail? Will he change his habits? Probably not. And, and that's unfortunate because I, I think that, I, I mean, I don't know what the fine needs to be, and I don't know how you stop it from happening. But again, it's that group of people, one guy going off trail, trying to be, you know, show how cool he was. 
Um, yeah, it, but, but, you know, here they are. Here's a BLM monitor with us. And, of course, he doesn't, it's not like he wears a hat that says, I'm with the BLM on it. Um, so all these guys that run around on these right. trails and you think, well, they're just out here having fun with everybody else. You never, these people need to be aware that there could be people in the right places that are, are out there having fun as well. And they're going to report you. Well, we all know that the, the rules come out of the individual one percenters or two percenters, that small minority that causes problems for the majority. Right. And so the rules come out, the helmet rules come out, the other rules and laws are made in order to feel good to protect those stupid. What did we talk about last week? Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Don't yeah. be stupid. And laws are designed to protect the stupid people from themselves. And unfortunately, it affects the rest of us. That's Absolutely. exactly right. And that's where, yeah. our, where I think our biggest failing is, is education. We've done a fairly yeah. good job in the Jeep world, but in the side-by-side world, I have found that many of those people, while not stupid, they're merely uneducated and clueless about how their actions will cause them not to have a place to go four-wheeling anymore in public or private land. Well, in a lot of cases, you've got guys out there, and in a place like Moab, where there's a lot of people renting, right? They, they rent rigs. They don't necessarily know. I'm sure there's some education that happens when they rent a rig, but I know I have a personal friend who years ago didn't, wasn't into off-roading, wasn't into jeeping, wasn't, didn't know what four low was for, rented a Jeep out there at, at Moab, just started going down some trails and uh, had troubles and had, pro, you know, broke in the middle of the trail. He, he was never in four low. He was just bouncing through. He was causing problems. He went off trail. He didn't know, but nobody took the time really to educate him on what he was supposed to be doing. Uh, they just handed the keys and said, here, have fun. And if you break something, you pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely right. And I think, you, you, you know, there's a few Jeep rental places in Moab that do take the time to tell people, stick it in low range, leave it there, and don't go off trail. Right, right. And find their customers if they uh, come back with a beat-up Jeep. Yeah, right. we've, we've, and we've had the opportunity to work with uh, one of them, Outlaw Jeep Adventures, helped us out, and, and I know many of them have, have gotten better. This was, of course, a long time ago, the story I was telling, but... Um, they really do one, they care for their rigs because it, it you know, it's, they're, they're spending good money on these rigs. So you have a nice yeah. rig to use and they want that. yeah, exactly. And it's part of the, one of the reasons we created the, uh, here at medical, we created skills day and we just, you know, we're in our seventh year doing skills day. We now do it twice a year. Um, at some point we'll export the darn thing to other parts of the country, um, because we can only do a hundred rigs at a time and, uh, we bring together and, and, 95% of the attendees are brand new Jeep owners. We promote to the local dealerships. They come out. The dealerships, many of them are good, but many of them don't necessarily know what they're selling. You know, the sales guy is selling the SRT uh, is the same one selling the Wrangler. And he gets you set up. You get what you want. You go. You don't have it. I know there's many dealerships across the country that have done a great job of doing education and courses and stuff in their area. But but they come out and they'll do uh, the skills day and they'll learn all the basics. We take them through a number of booths where they talk about equipment and things you should have and, and land use and all of that. And then they go out and they go from everything from a little sand pit to a full rock obstacle all in the period of a morning learning how, you know, how, how to do it. And part of that is not only having confidence in themselves and their rig, but listening to others, learning how to listen to spotters, paying attention. And it's the most basic stuff. How do you put it in a four wheel drive? What's a locker? What's this? 
And uh, we've just, we've really enjoyed that. And at some point we're going to try to be able to expand that out and do it in more and more places because it's desperately needed. Unfortunately, we have to cut it off at a hundred. We could probably do one every weekend if we really had the resources to do it. But um, it, it, that education, people are desperate to learn how to go have fun with their Jeeps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's amazing to me that how many people I see across the country running the, the CTI trailer around it. They don't, well, I've got flashing lights on my dash. I've got this lock, lock unlock button. Like it's the, the whole sway bar thing. What does that do? And you're right. The education needs to start. It, it should start much sooner than to get these people out on the trail and have them start to figure that out. They, they should know maybe when they purchase the vehicle, uh, just a thought. Well, I, I will confess something here. You know, uh, Del Albright and I were working on a book called The Beginner's Guide to Jeeping, and Payway uh, agreed to do a, a, a forward for us. Um, but that was like two years ago, I think. <laughs> it was a while ago. I do remember it, that. It was while. Well, one of these days, one of these days, I'll, I'll stop what I'm doing, and instead of working at four o'clock in the morning on Metal Cloak, maybe I'll write my book. And, uh, and, and we'll get it. We'll get it done. We'll get it done because it's. I think it's desperately needed, and and uh, people want to learn how. So, Payway. So, more about you and your history. Um, so, how many how how many Jeeps have you owned uh, since you got that first one? Owned or still own? <laughs> still, yeah, or still own. I think. And, and I, I, two or three, I sold. I still regret. Uh, somewhere around thirty or so. 30 or so. Okay. And so, and then in that time also, because you've been in the business, you've probably driven what every new Jeep before it's come out or, or it. Yeah, I'd say probably. All right. So, and then, then of course there are the unique rigs that get built for ultimate adventure and some of these other ones that were magazine builds, right? Absolutely. I've I've been fortunate in driving a a myriad of different vehicles, different builds uh, from factory prototypes, mules, uh, new introductions, ones we build ourselves, things that probably shouldn't have been built, and many <laughs> customers' vehicles as well as readers' vehicles that I should or shouldn't have been in. Is Are there any that stick out in your mind that you go, that's cool? Oh, tons of them. I'd be, I'd be, <laughs> what, <laughs> I'd be what, remiss if I, if I started talking about some of them. Well, what, what do it, obviously your, your first Jeep is still your favorite. You've had that for so long, right? Uh, in, in your garage right now, in your fleet, in the payway fleet, uh, what is, what is the other rig that is, as your favorite that you, that you love taking out? One of my favorite ones to take out is a CJ seven. That used to be my, my wife's daily driver. And I started Working at the magazine, and, and when, once that happens, you start doing a magazine project, and you do a build, and you put something on it, and you never get it done because you're trying to get the story done rather than make the vehicle correct. So this Jeep went through a whole bunch of that stuff, and finally I said, okay, let's just put on a fiberglass body. Well, that was probably a mistake. So then five years later, <laughs> trying to get it going again, uh, needed a project built for Ultimate Adventure, and I believe that was 2010. And Fred said, let's do your CJ7. I said, okay, let's do that. That'd be one way to get another one of my projects done. And he ended up with an Aqualoo aluminum uh, body on it and uh, LS3, aluminum block, uh, Chevy V8, uh, 4L80, 
And of course, Dynatrack 60 rear and a hybrid 4460 front with an Atlas. And that thing is just a blast to drive, has plenty of power. Uh, 37-inch Falcon, which I'll go to 38s next. And uh, its biggest problem is I never have a time to drive it. I just finally did. I drove it from California to Arizona, towing the Jeep uh, over there. And that was just so much fun. It goes fast, it goes slow. it does everything you need, except keep you dry in the rain. So I'm thinking about <laughs> actually finally getting a, uh, a soft off on it. But its unique feature is that because it is aluminum and, and Fred built it up, uh, the inside is uh, the green zinc chromate paint that they use on the inside of airplanes in World War II. So I call it a CJ-17 instead of a CJ-7 because uh, for the steering wheel, I use the control yoke off of a B-17 bomber. Oh, nice. Cool. cool. So that that's its whole uh, look. CJ it's, it's seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. I like that. I like that. So that's, that's a lot awesome. of fun. But of course, any of my old flatties, I have a blast with. Just flathead four cylinder bone stock, old hard tires. It, you know, those will outwheel a heck of a lot of other other rigs. And you saw that, Corey, when we put uh, Tater the forty seven CJ two A on your CTI ramp. Absolutely. You know, I I I had Tater for uh, I picked it up in in gosh, Tennessee last year and got to spend a little bit of time with it just often on the trailer now and then. And, but then it spent about a week at my house. And I tell you, even just, I have this little circle driveway thing and just driving it around that circle, it, it just makes you smile. That's the whole idea. You can't help smiling if, if you're driving an old stock flat thinner. Very true. It's, Very it's true. automatic. It, it's something in the gear oil smell or something. Or something. Get out yeah. Of that. Yeah. If you get out of that and, and you're not smiling, there's something wrong with you. Uh, I was Absolutely. smiling just watching you guys do it, putting it up on the CTI <laughs> yeah. trailer. What did it score, Corey, on the CTI? Uh, 490 I, or something? Yeah, something like that. It was. It did actually very well. I, I've had quite a few old flatties up there, and you know those stiff leaf springs and the short wheelbase. They just don't give up as much, but actually Tater did really well. Right, because those springs are well worn in. That's what I tell people. Don't don't put on new springs. Don't put on new shocks. My God, if your vehicle has 70 years of wear on it, it's probably going to flex better than anything out of the box that's brand new. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So you, Leave all got... that fancy stuff for the new ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay, so your, the favorite rig is your CZH-17 sitting in your fleet. And I know I understand – you know, going through this history of, of things with so many rigs, probably hundreds of rigs under your belt, the ones you've written articles about, uh, trying to discern all that. But when, when you look at, and I just want our readers to understand, when, when he's saying that the new Jeeps, the JT, is so good, it, this is guy from a guy who has driven probably in every major truck release, uh, every Jeep release, every, all these Anything that's come out, you've had a chance to go out there and write about and read about. So it, it says a lot that Jeep is able to build, build a new rig, the JL, the JT, and uh, and have the, the Rick Payway stamp of approval on it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to make a steal, okay? Rick Payway stamp of approval. We'll, there you we'll go. <laughs> well, you know, if you look on the cowl, uh, the plastic cowl of the new JT or the JL, have you seen uh, my sandals there yet? Yes. <laughs> I think I totally forgot about that. Right. That's so right. That's the closest thing I'll ever have to a seal of approval, but I was really honored to have that on there. 
That was cool. How did that come about? Who uh, whose idea was it? Um, that was somebody in Jeep. I, I can't say who. I mean, it was Just a consortium else. of people that knew that I've helped them for you know, my entire career, trying to say, no, no, you've got got to not do that. Don't put in more cup holders. Put in a button for a locker, etc. <laughs> you know, got to keep keep them true to the cords and to the to the faithful. We, we do need do that, cup holder, that's but it's going to be. We we need a we, we need a cup holder with a little gyroscope on it so it always stays up. That's right. Now see that would be okay. I understand that. But if if Jeep isn't true to the faithful, lose everything that they've gained through the years. If they could keep that though, there's just more successes down the road. Regardless right. of how silly some stuff may seem. Well, you were you were intimately involved, obviously, in in as the Jeep came out and and and. As a member of the media, you got to see the JL long before us in the industry did, and uh, and generally a lot more from the public. And there was a lot of inside, you know, probably horse trading going on. And being the guy you are, there were probably some discussions occurring. But it, it's the the whole way that the the JL evolved and was released. And uh, when was the very first time you saw it in, in without a cover on? That's something I'm not free to discuss. Okay. I thought I'd try How's that? <laughs> I thought I'd try They say something to the effect of, we decline to comment on future products. On the, on the grounds that it may stop me from getting access in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would try because it's the, the evolution in what we saw and in modern Jeeper, you know, and there were some definite, uh, you know, there's definite guys out there. The guys over at Jail Wrangler Forums, they they are incredible in the amount of renderings they got and, and their insight. But I, I, I thought that the, the marketing campaign that they did was just, and I looked at it as one big giant marketing campaign. Part of the secrecy obviously led to its mystery. Um, and, and what, and what you guys were writing about and what you were sharing and couldn't share led to its mystery. Um, you know, and thankfully it actually turned out to be worth all the wait and anticipation. Yeah. Without, without a doubt it, it has. And that's, you know, one of the fine lines that I always have to have to, um, adhere to is what I do know or what I don't know. I can't let you know what I don't know or do know. <laughs> yeah, right. so, and, it, and it goes that way. And I can just nod and smile a lot. How, how how different was this release from from when the JK came out? Because I I heard that I wasn't around at the time, but I heard the JK release was they were much more open to the industry and to others about what to expect with the JK than they were with the JL. I, I think one of the biggest differences was the lack of social media influence at that time. Mm. You had very little, uh, I mean, other than a few forums, magazines, and things like that, you didn't have the massive amount of, of social media, people talking back and forth, uh, renderings, drawings, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that was a big, big difference. So it made a big difference in how they, they were going to, to let people know. And, but did oh, you- yeah. Informa- information is information, yeah. regardless of where you get it. And the more right. people talk about it, wrong or right or wrong, the better. Right, absolutely. That's all. That's all media. I mean, that's all. Yep. Like you said, it's all information. Yeah, and they say any press is good press, bad press, or any press. Right, right. Yep, that's it. And although we try to maintain at modernjeeper.com, we try to maintain good media, good press. Yeah, uh, all, all we're trying to do. All we're trying to do is follow in the footsteps of of great leaders, and maybe one day after you retire, we can get some you know 
articles from you. <laughs> you ever, if you ever retire. Well, that's something I have to think about. You know, so if I retire and nobody pays me, what's the point of retiring? Right. <laughs> right. I'd be doing the same. What? Yeah. Why do that? Ah, well, sure. You got to do all a blog for free, no problem. So, but what what sure. what is the future for Rick Payway? I mean, you just gonna you just keep going through and just having fun, or is there your official title now is what? Okay, right now I am the editor in chief of JP Magazine, which, as you know, is all JP all the time. Right. Uh, that was after a couple of years as content director for the entire Trek Group, which was after fifteen some years as editor in chief of Peterson Four Wheel and Off Road which was before two years as editor of JP. So it's nice <laughs> to come back to JP. Right. Because uh, I'm a Jeep guy. I'm a four-wheel drive guy, obviously, but Jeeping is where I think where I think I am and, and should be. And, and are so you seeing, I'll continue doing the same thing. And are you seeing the evolution with these different trips? Like, obviously, we talked a lot about Dirt and Drive um, last week, and and Corey's just, just, just the incredible experience he had with, with that phenomenally run event i mean it's it's amazing what you've put together there um which oh, the was dirt that, and drive yeah dirt and drive was that, was that your idea or how did that evolve that was actually an outgrowth of conversations that we had in-house because jp didn't have an event and hmm. my tech editor Stuart bordon he came up with it and so did uh, a former Best Top employee, Jim Chick, who oh. now is a day star. And I first knew him back in the <clears throat> 70s and 80s when he worked at Flying High Off-Road in Phoenix. Right, right. So I'd have to give it to Stuart and to Jim for actually coming up with the idea. And we put it into motion and said, hey, this is a great idea. Is 100 people, uh, is 100 Jeeps too much? And I said, well, of course it is. So let's try it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, uh, I mean, try wrangling all the all the cats on Ultimate Adventure, which is you know twenty vehicles, fifty people. That's bad enough. You get the dirt and drive. That's one hundred and twenty jeeps. It's about two hundred and fifty people for four days. So right. yeah, it's a job, but it's it's fun. You get to go four wheeling. My God, how much more fun can that be? Right, right. Now, how many years have you done dirt and drive? Dirt and drive is uh, we did four years so far. Four, yeah. We're on tap to doing. And the fortunate thing is that uh, Jeep, corporate Jeep, real Jeep, has sponsored us as the title sponsor for four years. Wow. And anybody says, why? Well, it's kind of obvious. It's all yeah. Jeep all the time. Right. right. And well, it was great. we get some of their marketing and engineers to come along with us who are actually Jeep people, not just, quote, corporate marketing. Well, well yeah, we had, the, we had the brand guys of the JT on the trail with us with a couple of JTs. I mean, that was awesome. Yeah. And they loved it, you know, because they get it. It's a cheap thing. They get it. They understand. Yep. It's not like they're making Pontiac Aztecs. So <laughs> let, let, let's talk a little bit more about news and some news of the day. And uh, and and you can you can comment on it if you can. If not, I understand. Uh, FCA, merger with Renault. That is a... It's a whole different world out there. I mean, how, how do you see that's going to affect Jeep? Um, obviously, more resources are talking about this potentially becoming one of the biggest automakers in the world. Um, what What's the scuttlebutt? Well, don't forget that Renault had a vested interest and ownership in Jeep back in the YJ days. Oh, really? Um, uh, the, so the, the, I didn't know about it. Yeah, this, they, they've 
they've been interested in Jeep for quite some time. So one of the reasons you have a lot, some history there, um, Peugeot transmissions and things like that, not necessarily good. Uh, Renault doesn't have any kind of a real presence here in the United States, but they're 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 huge. Um, kind of interesting to see the Italians and the French getting together, maybe even with the Jap or the Chinese. Don't count them out. Mm. Uh, in coming up with these ideas for mergers. But it's way too early to start saying, oh, yeah, that's going to be what it is. And then for all the web wonks to start saying, oh, this is terrible. It's going to ruin cheese. Oh, yeah, okay. So right. You can listen to those guys all day long, and you're never going to change their ideas. But when you get into the corporate aspect of who has the best resources, I mean, going forward, if, if FCA needs more electric vehicle choices and intelligence and things that they want, maybe Renault is going to be there to help them along the way. But right now, it's way too, way too early to start saying anything about anything. Yeah, I understand. Just let some things settle down. And let some people do some talking. Right. Yeah. It'll be a long time before it all settles in, but so far, Absolutely. Jeep has, has hit it out of the park um, that from a corporate standpoint, from a value standpoint, it's definitely a cornerstone of FCA, or, or some would say it is FCA. Uh, there's not a lot else Absolutely. happening that's bringing as much value to the company and the brand as they have done with Jeep, which well, on behalf that of- That along my, with Dodge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But on behalf of my employees and their families, we're very thankful to Jeep for, for all the great work they're doing. Absolutely. And when you think of, of when Fiat was buying Chrysler, they weren't buying Chrysler, they were buying Jeep. Right. right. And the Ram trucks, you know, that's just little icing on the cake. Everybody wants cheap. That's that's key. That's what Lee Iacocca was doing when he bought AMC. You saw <laughs> Absolutely. He didn't care <laughs> about a pager. No. <laughs> Yet now we do, so go figure that. Right. Right. Ah, well, that's great. Well, I, uh, this has been a great conversation. Uh, Rick, really appreciate you, uh, you joining us and, and I'm sure we could talk no for problem. hours more fun. about, about it and all the great stories that you have. And, uh, but uh, Corey, I think it's time for our tech tip of the week. Yeah. And we have the perfect guy for our tech tip. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was thinking this week's tech tip of the week would be when buying a used Jeep, what should you look for? And uh, Rick, you've done that a few times in your life, so why don't you why don't you lead us off? Well, you could probably go and say something like, "What is the mileage on the vehicle?" And that's really a, a key indicator of so many aspects. But I think what is more important is what kind of mileage on the vehicle. If I have a, a for instance, a YJ that has two hundred thousand miles on it, buying an old Jeep, I have to say, well, okay, is that road miles or off road miles? If it's off-road miles, I'll bet you that thing's going to be pretty beat. If it's on-road miles, probably going to be okay. So that's when you start looking at at wear factors. If, For instance, if you have hard doors and it doesn't have air conditioning, you look to see how your your, the arm has worn the paint away on the top of the door sill. That's going to give you an indication (laughs) on how many actual miles are on it. That's that's a a good point. Yeah, those are the things you look at. Again, my, high mileage isn't a bad thing. Anybody knows that a four liter can last easily 350,000 or more miles properly taken care of. Uh, I've got one with 198. I've got one with 210, I think. And my highest mileage is 325. And they're all still running relatively well. 
325,000 miles out of a four liter. That's a lot of miles. And you're right. I mean, I'd never really thought about looking at where somebody's arm would be on a door. That's, that's pretty unique. I mean, I think that the, Mm -hmm. the most, most used car buyers, you know, they look underneath it and they go, um, yeah, that looks pretty good. I don't know if they really, (laughs) really look. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And those are the keys. Of course, rust is always a big issue. Uh, Jeep has never been the best about rust protection, but come on, they live in the rust belt. They know it's going to rust. They're not too worried about it. But it's up to the person buying a Jeep to take that screwdriver, stick it into a frame rail. If it goes through, it's too thin. That's that's really the tech tip. And believe me, I have put a screwdriver screwdriver through through a frame frame, rail before. If a screwdriver goes through the frame, it's too thin. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Walk away. Yeah. Go Walk away. Well, course, I think it's if amazing. you just stuck your your screwdriver through the guy's frame, you might want to run away. <laughs> <laughs> More than likely, they already know. Uh, well, I think it's amazing what some of these uh, dealerships, quote unquote, I, I use that term loosely, what they will try and cover up so that the average consumer looks at this Jeep that's got, you know, 75,000 miles on it and up top it's perfect and you look underneath and the thing looks like it was you know totaled at some point um but the body looks great right the things that people look at for instance i had a friend come by he said he wanted to buy a scrambler right cj8 very popular uh getting very pricey probably out of their price range right now and first one that he sent me on the internet I went, well start to look at at this, which was the fact that he didn't have the emissions equipment on it, and the fact that it was registered in California, which meant he wasn't going to get it re-registered in California. So I said, no, you might want to pass on that one. And the next one was one that, uh, again, was a rust bucket. That, oh, my gosh, the dealer had put all the chrome doodads and fancy <laughs> stuff on it and the kit and tires. And, oh, my God, it wouldn't even drive down the road straight. So, again... First thing you look at is miles, then look at rust, and then take the thing for a test drive. A lot of people don't do that. If it doesn't stay on the road, there's a problem. You know, people talk about death wobble. Well, any kind of death wobble is highly overrated because no vehicle manufacturer makes a vehicle that will have death wobble off the showroom floor. If it does, something's worn out. And I think you've probably addressed that more than once in any of your technical episodes. Oh man, yeah, that's that kind of becomes the 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 topic of the day everywhere. Um, and again, it's like you said, most people are modifying something. Something's worn out. It's not something that oh yeah, Jeep purposefully did this to you. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. All those yeah. Jeeps drunk because they have death wobble. No, come on. <laughs> oh, but but you mean forty twos and and none of that stuff has any effect because they're brand new. How could they? add to that yeah 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 going over the design uh limitations of any anything like you know airplanes only supposed to carry a certain amount of load and then they have a safety factor if you're over that bad things are going to happen same way with the jeep (laughs) bad things are going to (laughs) happen yeah yeah bad things well speaking of bad things it's time to to wrap up this episode Thank you again, Rick, for, for support, uh, for being out here, for being just who you are and being an inspiration for all of us in the industry to hopefully uh, still be around uh, as, as long as you have, uh, still kicking and screaming and having fun in our Jeeps. 
Um, I don't know if I'll be able to catch, uh, never be able to catch up with the number of trails you've been on, but I think I live vicariously just like the rest of your fans through your stories and uh, through all the uh, great adventures you've had. So uh, don't give that up, my friend. And if you ever decide to, uh, we'd love to have you over at Modern Jeeper. Sounds great. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Uh, I'm going to Australia next to do some interesting trails, so I'll give you a report back from that when I'm back. Thanks again yeah, for right. having me on. Corey and Matson, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Good chatting with you. Well, Corey, it was another great episode. Um, I want to make sure that our uh, listeners, though, know where you're going to next, since we haven't brought that up yet. But you have a couple of uh, major events coming up here. Absolutely. In fact, um, like we, we, we always mention, you know, it, it is the season and uh, the season doesn't stop. We just got done with our modern Jeeper adventure in Moab. And literally this Sunday, I'll start heading back east. Uh, Bantam, the Jeep Heritage event is coming up in Butler, Pennsylvania. Um, that is the, let's see, setup is the 6th. So the event's the 7th and the 8th and the 9th. Um, it's a huge turnout to Butler. You know, we... Last year was the first year we hadn't gone to Butler before. Um, we always knew it was kind of the the and attended by uh, the older Jeeps and a lot of flatties and things like that. Well, this event has continued to grow. And last year, the downtown where all the Jeeps line up from the vendors and participants, and it was crazy. So we'll be there for that in Bantam. And the following week is the New Jersey Jeep Invasion. So We'll load up after Bantam in Pennsylvania, drive all the way to the East Coast and uh, set up the CTI trailer in the sand in New Jersey, Wildwood, New Jersey. Right. We talked about that last week, just the, the ability for you to be able to out there on the on this big, massive beach uh, and have the trailer out there and, and have rigs going up and down out there. That That's just incredible. Yeah, pretty fun. And, and uh, I know that some folks have been dealing with weather in, well, everywhere east of pretty much California. Um, <laughs> hopefully we get a break in, in some of that weather. And, and I, I wish uh, lots of, lots of dry weather to the folks that are, that are dealing with flooding and tornadoes and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully I get to see him at the events. Well, definitely, definitely. And for those on the West coast out here, we will be, while you're at New Jersey Jeep invasion, we will be at big bear forest fest uh, down in Southern California uh, with the CTI trailer set up, we uh, we get that we get out there on Thursday and set up um, doing it Friday and Saturday. We head out Saturday night just so we can be back in time for Father's Day back home. But um, so all day, uh, all day Friday, all day Saturday. Uh, it's a great event. We'll probably do you know seventy five eighty CTIs over those two days. If you're out in that area, you want to come on up, make the drive up to the top of Big Bear, um, and come on out and see us. Nice. Well, Corey, thanks again. Um, everybody want to follow what we're doing. You can find Corey on Facebook. You can find uh, Modern Jeeper on Instagram. Uh, you can find Metal Cloak, of course, on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, make sure to follow us at Modern Jeeper. Make sure to check us out at modernjeeper.com for the latest articles. Uh, join the conversations at modernjeeperforum.com. And remember, register for Tillamook. At modernjeeperadventures.com. Perfect. Corey, you, my friend, have a great time. I'll talk to you soon. And for all the rest of you, we'll see you on the rocks. Cheers. This podcast will self-destruct in five, four, three, two, one.